Well, hey there, all souls. Good morning. My name is Catherine, and I'm the minister to youth and their families here at All Souls. Um, and it must be a holiday weekend, because or Mike is on vacation, uh, both of which happen to be true. But um, I am excited to be joining with you guys uh, today as we continue in our Mark series. Um, uh, the, the really neat thing about me being able to be up here, as I was chatting with several of our students this morning, um, is that uh, they get to realize that this is my real job, that this is not just something I get to a chance to do uh, for fun, but in fact, uh, I get to share the word of the Lord occasionally with adults. So I'm glad. Invite, invite yourselves into this space. Relax a little bit. Like, this is going to be good. Um, the particular passage that we're looking at today, uh, it kind of concludes the first section of Mark. Um, we wrap up this portion of the introduction, uh, and then we'll move into kind of the initiation of Jesus's ministry. We'll pick up next year, which seems like a long way away. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> but we'll pick up next year uh, in Mark 1, uh, looking at uh, kind of who he is, the teaching, the healing, um, the, the attributes that make Jesus who he was. But today, we're going to look at the little portion that I like to call Jesus' very first sermon, which is pretty great. So friends, um, will you join with me? The passage is written in your worship guides as I read the word of the Lord. We are in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray this morning as followers of your word and people who desire to live the way that you have called us. Lord, I pray that this morning we can seek after you with the fullness of our hearts and our minds and every ounce of capacity we have for understanding. I pray that these words may be fully from you and not from me. Lord, reveal your will for us, for how we are to live and to work and to be in and for your glory. In the precious name of your son, amen. So last week, um, if you were here or you listened a little bit later or joined us online, uh, Stephen told us uh, about how Mark introduces Jesus, which is what we see in the first kind of chunk of this gospel. Uh, Jesus is given this identity as Messiah, the Son of God. And this description of his identity is unique because it has nothing to do with what Jesus has done up to this point, right, or what he said. He hasn't said anything up to this point. Uh, but instead... He's described by what his father says about him. So the first up to, you know, 13 verses in Mark, we don't hear any of Jesus' words. We don't know any of the stories of the things that he's done. We don't see any miracles. Nobody's been healed. There are not even disciples at this point in Jesus' story. But we do know about this guy named John the Baptist. Um, and last week... Uh, I, think, I, think, I think an interesting picture was painted of him. Uh, but he was prophesied in Isaiah, and we hear his voice shouting in the wilderness, and some people think he's weird. The minute that Stephen started talking about this last week, I had these words in my head. Um, there was a man from the desert with naps in his head, the sand that he walked, it was also his bed, the words that he spoke made the people assume there wasn't too much left in the upper room. 
with skins on his back and hair on his face. They thought he was strange by the locusts he ate. You see the Pharisees trip when they heard him speak until the king took the head of this Jesus freak. Um, I wanted to play that. For those of you unfamiliar, I didn't just make that up. Um, for the, I don't know how many like millennials, like older millennials are in the room right now. Um, I guarantee that our budget does not carry the copyright to be able to, on the internet, play DC Talk in any capacity. So you're welcome. I just got to Rapid Church. Um, and I, I wanted to start off with that, not just so I could say, and I just got to rap in church, which is awesome, um, but also because the role that John the Baptist plays at the beginning of this passage and the beginning of, of Jesus's ministry is really important, right? People heard and they saw this John character and they thought like, surely this character is not the person who the prophecies proclaimed would be the messenger preparing a way for the king, right? Surely a true king coming for our salvation as it has been proclaimed would have a messenger preparing his way who had a little more clout, right? A little more gravitas as it were. Maybe somebody who lived or dressed or ate in a way that other people expected him to. John the Baptist doesn't really fit that bill. But little did these people know that they would also be saying the same thing about the actual king that they were waiting for, right? Thousands of years ago, people were not really that different from who they are today. It, people lived with this expectation of who the coming Messiah would be, right? What he would act, how he would say, how, who he would hang out with, how he would dress, the authority that he would surround himself with. We even see here in um, the passage in verse 14, the first part of it probably doesn't mean a lot to most of you in the room because it's like a little bit of like a hidden Bible nerd thing. Um, but it says, Jesus went into Galilee. Okay, great, right? There's a map in the back for that. Um, but let me, let me tell you, let me give you a little insight into Galilee. Um, that was not the place you want to start your ministry. It's like um, Arkansas, um, right? And I lived there, so like I know. Um, like if you, if you want to be like legit and you're starting your ministry, like you're going to be God, like you're, you should go to Jerusalem because people there are like holy and they'll like listen to you. They're like well-read, they're educated, they know what's up. And Galilee is like a little bit of a mixed bag. Right? We don't really know about these Galilean folks. So people were really confused when Jesus, who declared himself as this coming king, this person with whom the salvation, like the whole crux of the world changes, he's like, I'm going to go there first. Like, eh, that doesn't really meet our expectation. But these expectations, they're something that were man-created. Right? They created them in their own minds. They had built up this idea of who Jesus was and who he should be based on the ideas of what they expected. We, we definitely don't do that today, right? But we do, right? We tend to make a small thing of this person of Jesus. Um, if you have ever, if you have an iPhone, you're like an Apple user, remember when you like first start your phone, you get to make that like meme emoji, meme emoji, bit emoji, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where you get to like design the person the way that you look or the way that you want to look. Or like, how would I look if I were animated and also had purple hair? I don't know, right? Um, I have a feeling that if every single person in this room was given 
a, a scenario where it was like, okay, create your Jesus bitmoji. We'd have like a hundred different versions of how we felt Jesus looked and what he wore and who he hung out with, right? And none of them are going to be anywhere near as good as the gospel that actually is Jesus, right? What we create, what we make up in our head, these expectations, how we lay out our Savior, like God's going to blow them out of the water 100% of the time. The gospel that is Jesus, the gospel that proclaims who he is and what he's doing, like those things matter. And this is the first instance here in Mark where we see that word, that gospel, being proclaimed by Jesus himself. So let's look back. We're going to reread the whole text both verses. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're going to look at three things here in verse 15 that Jesus is saying. First, Jesus says, the time has come. That's the New International Version. Uh, The ESV says, the time is fulfilled. The message said, time's up. They all say the same thing. They all agree, right? Jesus is letting people know that this, this time, this is where everything changes. This is the crux on which all of history swings. This is what you have been waiting for. Now, in order to understand the impact of what this is, um, we have to go back to the beginning, to the garden, right? The garden of Eden that God created when he created the heavens and the earth, back to the garden where God was king. The garden has plants and animals. It has day, it has night, it has fruit, and it has soil, and it has worthwhile work. But the garden also has Adam and Eve. And um, they did not want God to be king in the garden. In fact, they wanted the opposite. They wanted to be king. Things were fine at the very beginning, right? We know that that Adam walked with God and that union was, was perfect and incredible, but the minute that Satan got his foot in the door and his words into the ears of mankind, the entire narrative changes. That narrative turns into, God isn't king, I am. God doesn't determine right and wrong, I do. God doesn't determine what is good and what is evil. I can. God doesn't choose what my life is supposed to look like. I get to choose. I wear the crown. That narrative that Adam and Eve had sounds an awful, awful lot like the narrative that humanity is still living in today. Right? And the result of taking this kingship from Jesus and living life as we were our own kings, it's not just about like, ha, ah, man broke God's rules, right? Bummer, right? The result is that deep down things are desperately beyond our ability to ever repair them. We, we, who we are, who we interact with, what we touch has been broken by sin. And the result is sickness and death and evil and racism and injustice and corruption. And y'all, this is in my life too. I cringe when I think of how much pain that I have caused myself and others because of the times that I have refused to let God be the king and rule over my life. So 
this news that Jesus declares here in verse 15 becomes massively important. Right? The kingdom is coming. I, Jesus, I will reign again. And this announcement about the kingdom, uh, it's not like some geographical sphere is like moving to take over earth. Right? When Jesus says the kingdom is coming and the time is drawing near, he's saying that everything we have been waiting for, the renewal of all things, it has begun. As the time comes, Jesus comes. And as Jesus comes, God comes. And as God comes through Christ, he establishes his reign forever. He is the true king. He's wearing the crown, and he declares that he is the one who rules and reigns over all creation once again. And I want to be careful here. I don't want you to hear that, like, in between the time of the garden and Mark 1, um, that God was not in charge. Uh, he wasn't sovereign. He wasn't in control. It's not like Jesus is like, okay, I'm here now. So, like, God, we can get things back into control. Um, it, that's not what's being established. God is always sovereign. He is always in control. But the way that he rules now is different than the way that he rules before the coming of Christ. How so? Well, the second thing and the third thing that Jesus says in verse 15 help to give us some clarity. So, Let's look at the second thing. The kingdom of God has come near. It is at hand. It has arrived. This is the fulfilling of the prophecy of the king that we know from Isaiah 52 and 53, and the declaration that the good news is God, and in human flesh he has come to make all things right and to bring his kingdom near. When I think about uh, the kingdom coming near, my mind immediately goes to Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Right? We've already said it today, but think about the first chunk of scripture there. Right? Jesus teaches us to pray by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, it seems to me like the world has a lot of ideas about it, what it looks like for God's will to be done. And sometimes when we read this and we think about that, um, it can be a little bit strange that Jesus is praying this to his father. So like last week, last Sunday, I got a chance to teach uh, one of our confirmation classes talking about the Trinity, right? And we learned about how God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also not the Father, not the Son, not the Holy Spirit. It's, there's no good analogy for it. It's a mystery and it's awesome. Um, but like that's a little bit about what Jesus is leaning in to here. Uh, right? So, like, it's not like Jesus is saying, like, hey, God, I know, like, your will gets thwarted sometimes, but, like, I'm here, so, like, you can let it happen, right? God is God. What he wants to happen will always happen. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom coming near and the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven, he's talking about God's will being done now on earth like it is in heaven. So, what is it like in heaven when God's will is done? In heaven, God's will is done with delight. It is done with joy, and it's done with obedience. In heaven, God's will, when it's done, it brings peace, and it brings justice, and it brings flourishing. In heaven, God's will is perfectly done, and God's perfectly created people fulfill that will perfectly. But on earth... We're still in rebellion, remember? We're wearing our crowns the same way that Adam and Eve were wearing theirs. 
And so to pray that God's will is done on earth exactly as it is done in heaven is to pray that God's will is obeyed and loved and treasured on earth the way it is in heaven. That the fruits of obedience that are being enjoyed in heaven for eternity would be done on earth, that those fruits would be enjoyed here. So when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, it's as if God has taken up his crown again and is starting the process of making things on earth as they are in heaven. Uh, earlier this fall and the summer, we here at All Souls were able to speak into and cast our vision for our church and follow this command. Our role in this is to continue to practice the way of Jesus in our homes and in our families, in our work and in our communities as we seek the renewal of all things, the coming of the kingdom and the doing of God's will as it is in heaven with joy and obedience to bring peace and flourishing. The third thing that Jesus says here is a call to action. Uh, when I was in seminary, I took uh, some preaching and exegesis classes. Now, they were not required for the degree that I got, uh, but I like to talk. Um, and I thought those would be some easy A's for me. Um, I was the only woman my first semester in that preaching class. And I brought a dead fish once as an example when I was teaching about... They were like, you belong in youth ministry. Anyway, that's, that's, an, aside. that's an aside. The nine o'clock didn't get that little nugget of remembrance. But anyway, but really, the, the, let's focus. Let's focus back in. So the professor gave us a list, right? So these are, these are five things that congregations are going to remember about your sermon. And here is the list in order. Number one, the conclusion. <laughs> Attracts. Uh, number two, the opening illustration, like rapping. Number three, your other illustrations, like reading off a list of the things you learned in seminary. Uh, number four, very specific application. And number five, your main point. He was like, that's the last thing people will remember. It's a very uplifting class. Um, but I remember this list every time I, I sit down to write a sermon and I think about communicating God's word. And I love, I love looking at verse 14 through the lens of this list. And I'll tell you why. So remember, these are Jesus' first recorded words. This is Jesus' first sermon, okay? We're gonna go through the whole thing again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. End of sermon. Great, uh, okay, let's go through it. It's got a great opening. The time has come. I'm intrigued. What, what, what time? In fact, I'm, I'm, all, I'm engaged, right? Um, it has... A vivid illustration. The kingdom of God has come near. Excellent conclusion. Believe the good news. Slam dunk, right? And then some very specific application. Repent. Boom. Done. It's like Jesus came up with this list, right? And I do think that some of our more longer-winded Christian brothers and sisters in history could have uh, followed this pattern from Jesus, but I digress. Um, so let's look at this. Let's look at this application piece that Jesus talks about. Jesus brings the same message as John the Baptist, repent, believe, and be baptized. In my experience, we, uh, the Presbyterians, uh, don't like to talk a lot about repentance. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but for me, I get very uncomfortable when I am put in a place where I have to name 
out loud my sins and the things I need to repent of. It's much easier to do it in silence while I look very humble and I'm halfway thinking of my grocery list, if we're being honest. I want to believe that I am a good person, that I have faith, I have asked Jesus into my heart, and that I live in a way that is pleasing to him. But honestly, y'all, like I have unforgiveness in my heart and I need to repent of that. I get uncomfortable when I read the word of God and I'm convicted by something that makes me feel like I'm not in my own lane anymore and I'm not in control and I need to repent of that. This word repent, it is used 34 times in the New Testament alone. And like I tell my students every week, if something in the Bible is repeated, it is important. Jesus calls us to stop doing the sin for which he died. We will miss the fullness of God's kingdom if we think the whole picture of scripture is just to believe and have faith and be squishy and ignore the direction we have to call out and repent our sins by name. Jesus is not a popular philosopher or some guru whose book you can flick, pick, pick up and flip through and pick and choose and consider. No, Jesus has come to bring the kingdom here and he is rightfully taking back the crown that is his. We are called to repent of the sins and to take the crowns off of our heads, to fall on our faces at the foot of the king and to cry for his mercy. And the mercy of God, that, that friends, that's the beautiful picture of the gospel. Next week uh, begins the season of Advent, where we celebrate the coming and arrival of the Holy Child. Our Advent series is appropriately titled Chasing Hope. And this passage in Mark, I think, launches us right into the mystery of the season. This is a season that is marked by the church's crazy claim that the light of the whole human race has come. The king we've been waiting for is here. The kingdom is near, and that means something new has begun. And nothing will ever be the same again, even if we're still practicing for the renewal to get things to how they are meant to be. Y'all, I'm going to take a note from Jesus. I'm going to end it right here. Friends, prepare him room. Remove your crowns, repent and believe because the king, his kingdom, it's coming. Amen.